You're listening to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. My name is Andrew. Uh, Wherever you're listening to this from, whatever you're doing right now, wherever you are, whenever you are, (laughs) we are so privileged to connect together to uh, pursue the presence of Jesus more deeply together, the beating heart of our church, the, the mandate we feel we've been given from the Spirit of God is to be a community of people that provokes and ignites a deep hunger and longing for the presence of Jesus in our lives and His Spirit-driven, formational, initiated, formational, um, kind of sustained and empowered work, that, that spirit-empowered work in us for the sake of the world around us. And look, I, today, I, I just, I want to remind you um, that you have a divine purpose and calling from God. I'm not saying that as a, you know, just sort of a mechanism of Christian um, therapeutic, feel good about yourself today kind of stuff. You have a divine calling from the heart of God, a divine purpose from the heart of God in your life. And I don't think that you and I most fully recognize it. We don't develop clarity around that by by trying to lean into the mechanics of that calling and the specifics. We get clarity in that, clarity in our purpose, clarity in like the, here's why I'm on this earth kind of stuff clarity in those things by uh, pursuing the presence of Jesus, the face of Jesus, by pursuing intimacy, making that the priority of our life. And as a church, we want to provoke in you a deep hunger and longing for intimacy with Jesus, a hunger and longing to walk in obedience with him, and also to walk in the authority of his kingdom on the earth today through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit's gifts and power. That's that's how Jesus lived. And so I'm gonna throw you right into the Easter message that we had from this year. Um, but I wanna let you know I have a few things that I want to clarify and just add to at the end. So stick around for that. I will talk to you guys after the message. If you are visiting here or it's your first time, met some of you in the parking lot, my name is Andrew and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're just, we're thankful to be able to spend a few minutes with you on this uh, Easter day. This will be uh, not my longest message. I have a brisket on the smoker that I have to get out to... uh, I even have it on my phone. I have the app so I can see what's going on there. I just checked it while I was, it's not heresy. I just was just checking. But um, So we'll get you out to your Easter lunches and plans. Um, I'm going to read a, a passage of scripture and um, just share a few thoughts that I feel I just have been sensing over the last number of weeks that um, Jesus just wants to invite us into. And actually, on Friday, um, Pastor Brenda 
stole a little bit of my thunder, but it's interesting. We haven't talked about our our messages or what we were going to say, but there was there's a lot of continuity between what we talked about Friday and what we're going to talk about today. And I want to read to you a story from the Gospel of John. If you have a Bible, you can open it. If you don't, you can uh, just track with it on the screen here. And of course, today we are we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, but this story is about a different resurrection that Jesus was a part of. And this is the story of Lazarus. And especially for those of you who uh, maybe aren't really familiar with the Bible or anything like that, we're going to read through a big chunk of this story and, and then just talk through some things about it. Uh, John 11 going to start in verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. The same kind of thing we would do. Isn't it interesting how quickly we turn to Jesus when things start going sideways in our life, when we have unexpected uh, health crisis, emergency, um, anything like that. It's interesting how even if you don't even acknowledge or say you believe in God, it's interesting how many people turn to prayer, regardless or not of whether they would say, I follow Jesus or not. It's interesting how many people turn to prayer when crisis really lands close to home. But listen to the response of Jesus. When Jesus heard about this, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. He was not near Mary or Martha. They sent word to him. So he's not saying this to them directly. He's saying this to those that were in his vicinity, within earshot of him. Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. Know it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So, Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his, his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. In ancient times, sleep was a euphemism for death. So Jesus was not saying he's just simply sleeping. Jesus is acknowledging he's died. He's passed away, and we're going to go pay a visit to them. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, duh, he will soon get better. 
They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was only sleeping, but Jesus meant he had died. So he told them plainly, <laughs> I love this. Oh, I feel like this is the way my wife would talk to me. All right, dummy. <laughs> no, I don't, have you, maybe you've said that just from a few feet away, but. Okay, dummy, it's time. He's dead. Read my lips. Have you ever said that to somebody? Read my lips. And you talk very slow. I feel like that's what Jesus might have been doing to those guys at that moment. You guys are not picking up on this. He's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to the fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. So there's some really interesting interpretations of what's about to happen here. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Okay, I just want to stop there. In the ancient Near East, um, this would have been a common sort of belief in the cultures around Jesus and the disciples. It was a uh, sort of like a an, what would be tantamount to like an old wives' tale that we would tell today. Sort of like this is not we don't we don't know if this is true. It probably isn't, but this is just something we say. So in in Jesus's culture, what they believed about death was that for three days, the soul of the person would remain near the body. But on the fourth day, when the body began to physically decompose, the soul would depart and leave. What I think is happening here, and the reason that John is being very specific about Jesus arriving on the fourth day, is like, regardless of what you believe, You've been told, hey, there might be a chance for him to be resurrected. The soul is near the body, so maybe something will happen. No, 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 no. He's dead. He's not coming back. This is like the end of the story. There's a finality to this. It's been four days. Now Lazarus is physically decomposing. There is no coming back from this. How many times have you believed in your own life or you've even said it to yourself, there's no coming back from this now. I've crossed the line. I've gone too far. Our family is too broken. Our marriage, there's no hope for it. None. Nothing can be done. Nothing can be done. Jesus walks into the middle of that kind of environment. Like he's gone. There's nothing that we can say. There's nothing we can do. He's gone. Everybody knows it. And Jesus comes on that fourth day. When he arrived there, he'd been in the grave four days. This place where Lazarus was, Bethany, was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. I'm not sure why she stayed there. Could have been just for sheer disappointment 
and grief. Like Jesus, I don't even know what to say to you right now because what I thought you were going to do, I thought you would come when we called you. I thought you were near. I thought you were always with me, that you'd never leave me or forsake me. I feel like Martha in this moment is staying back because her heart is wounded and she's grieved. She's lost her brother. And the one person she knew could do something about it didn't show up. And Martha, I think, is processing disappointment in God, disappointment in Jesus. Mary is. Martha came out to get him. When Martha got word Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, the thing that was on everybody's mind, but she said it, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha says, he will rise when everyone rises at the last day. Martha gives a good kind of theological, a good Christian answer. I know I was taught in Sunday school, you know, I I don't want to grieve or lose hope. And so I know something good is coming way down the road. I know what's about to happen. And Jesus stops her in this moment. Jesus stops her in this moment, and these next words are the ones that I just want us to sit with and meditate on for a few minutes. Jesus stops her because he's moving, he's about to move Martha from just theoretical information that she's picked up in Scripture, theoretical Bible knowledge, to now a direct confrontation with himself. One that moves from just like, I get it, Jesus. I was at that Beth Moore Bible study. I heard all about it. You know what? I'm good. No, no, Jesus is about to interrupt her and flip the tables a little bit. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. This is why we say at our church, Jesus can change your life. Religion cannot change your life. This church can't change your life. Good mental health practices won't change your life. They may help a little bit. There's only one person who can genuinely change your life at a fundamental level. And Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Don't worry about what's coming 20 years from now. I'm standing in your midst, and I, I am the resurrection and the life. He goes on, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? You know, if you follow Jesus, if you've invited him to be Lord of your life and 
entrusted your life over to him and you're following him, you are living in eternity already. Your body will, unless Jesus comes back, physically die. But if you're following Jesus, you are already stepping in eternity. You are already walking in it. There's a, a momentary shift. You know, when we die now, there's a momentary shift of our physical reality. But those who are following Jesus are walking in the present tense in eternity. We are walking in the fullness of everything that Jesus has for eternity. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what he's doing is he's saying, Martha, Martha, it's not about what happened in the past. I'm not living back there. And Martha, it's not about what's going to happen in the future. I'm present right here in the moment. Did you know that God is the God of the present? He's not the God of the past. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of the present moment. And Jesus is literally standing with her and he's saying, I am the resurrection. Everything you need for life is in front of you, Martha. It's not about what didn't happen three days ago when you lost hope because I didn't show up in your life. It's not about what is going to happen in the future. It's about this moment and what I can and want to do for you. But so much of our lives, your life, my life, is dominated by either the past or our hypothetical ideas of what's happening in the future. And Jesus says, no, if you want to walk with me, you walk with me in the present. I am here right now. I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So get your mind off of what's going to happen 10 minutes from now. Stop hypothesizing about what is going to happen in your life. Stop going back over and over and over the past and reliving your failures and the, and the stuff that has tripped you up. I'm here in the present. And so the question not is not, Jesus, why did you not heal Lazarus? But the question, is Jesus, what do you want to say to me right now? See, we always ask this question, why? Why did this, God, if you are good, if there is a God even, why would you allow this to happen to me? Why would you allow the things that are taking place on the earth right now? Why would you allow that stuff? But the why question is way above our pay grade. Why God does things, we, uh, we, as humans, we simply cannot enter into that dialogue with him. We're not qualified. But if we shift our question from why God to instead, what is it you want me to know right now? And this is what Jesus is moving Martha from. He's saying, here's what you need to know, Martha. I'm here and I am the resurrection and the life. Everything that your brother needs to live and thrive and walk out his purpose and his calling is in me and I'm with you and I'm here. I feel like one of the, the core ideas that, that Jesus just wants to communicate with you and I this morning 
is an invitation to step into the present with him. Some of you are living in the overplayed reels of the past. You're living in the brokenness of the past, in the trauma, in the victimhood of the past, and those things are real. And for some of you, they've had a tremendous impact on your life, a, a, an unconscionable pain. But Jesus wants to invite you into the present. And the question is not, God, why did this happen to me when I was little? Or why did you let this person violate me that way? Or why are you letting this happen? The question right now in the present is, Jesus, what do you want me to know? And some of you don't live in the past. You live way out in the future. You're addicted to hyper-planning. You're addicted to controlling your life and your world. You're addicted to organizing everything in your life in such a way that you have everything mapped out to a T. There's nothing wrong with some planning, obviously. But actually living in the future is a trap that the enemy wants to ensnare you in. Because Jesus isn't there, he's here in the present. When you're constantly living in the future, you bring yourself into a place of vulnerability from the enemy to begin to speak lies into what is going to happen, what's not going to happen, and those lies then that are being fed into your mind as you play a video script in your, in your imagination, in your mind about what you think is about to take place, the enemy inserts himself in there and he trips you into responding and reacting in the present in a way that is actually fear-based and does not rely on the trust of Jesus in the present. He gets you thinking about the what ifs and the what coulds and the what shoulds and all of the Dr. Seuss type rhyming things that you can come up with. He gets you just cycling through over and over, playing in your head this, this picture of what you think is going to happen when you have no idea. And that's what Martha is going to. She's going to the future. She's like, I know, I know. It's, and Jesus is like, no, no, no. Get out of the future and get into the present because I'm here and there's nothing that's impossible for me. And yet for some of us, so much of our life is lived in worrying about what's coming next. And we do this in our families. We do it in work. We worry about government and what's happening all over the world. And Jesus is saying, get out of the future and into the present. The question is not what's going to happen next. The question is today, Jesus, what do you need me or want me to know? What do you want me to know about yourself? And what do you want me to know about me? So Jesus takes Martha's sort of theologically correct statement and he brings it into the present 
And he says, the first thing, first thing you need to know, he says, I am. Jesus makes an identity statement. Jesus is not confused about who he is. He makes an identity statement about who he is in the core of his being. The reason we live in the past or in the future and not in the present often is because we are confused about who we really are and who God really is. We don't understand fundamentally why he's put us here on this earth. What is my purpose? What is my calling? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm walking around like a, you know, um, a, you know, a ping pong ball, like just bouncing all over the place. I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know what you've made me for. Jesus knew exactly what he was here for. He knew exactly who he was made for because he had heard it from the Father. So the, the thrust of Jesus' life, the, the consuming drive of his life was intimacy with his father. Why? So that he could know the identity of his father and that he could hear the father speak his identity over him. We live in a culture that tells you that you define your identity in, in many ways. That you're the author of your identity, your true self. And Jesus would say, no, you're not the author of your identity. You were shaped and formed by the purpose of God before you were even born. Ephesians 1. Even before God made the world. Even before he laid the foundations of the earth. He knew you and he had a purpose and a calling for your life. The question is, do you know it? Because when we're unsure about our calling, when we're unsure about our identity, we slip into this, these ditches of living in the past or living in the present. We take on the identity of what we've done in the past. We take on uh, markers of our identity. I'm a failure. I am a drug addict. I am an alcoholic. I am an abuser. I am an adulterer. I am a disappointment. I am fearful. I am whatever it is. We, we take on those labels that we've picked up over the years, and that's what we begin to walk in. And as we take on those labels, then it, it filters how we view not only the future, but even the present. And Jesus reminds Martha here that if you're going to walk with him and you're going to carry out his purposes and his calling for your life, you have to know who the Father is and you have to know who the Father says you are. And your identity is not your vocation. Your identity is not even your spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to serve you in your calling, but they're not your identity. They're not your identity. Your job is not your identity. It's what you happen to be doing, but there is something deeper in the heart of God for you, a calling that he wants to, to actually call out of you. 
And Jesus is walking and he knows his identity and he's able to say so clearly to Martha, Martha, get out of the past, get out of the future. I'm here in the present. I am the resurrection and the life. As Brenda mentioned on Friday, just by simple definition for something to be resurrected, it had to die. The model Jesus gives us for life it's not a model that is like consume, get it all, get sort of, you know, all the stuff you want. The model Jesus gives us is surrendering and dying first. It's dying to that self-diagnosed identity label that you've given yourself. It's dying to those labels that have been spoken over you, your failure. You're a disappointment. Whatever those labels are, it's actually allowing Jesus to kill those false identities. The ancient people would call those your false self. And Jesus invites you to hear him speak to you about your true self, the true you. And he invites the true you to walk shoulder to shoulder with him so that he can be your power and your source of life on the earth today, even now. Jesus is inviting Martha and inviting us to live in the present. You know what's interesting? I don't know how all this stuff works, obviously. Time is... I mean, God can do whatever he wants with time. I don't know exactly how all those things work on a metaphysical level and all of that. But there's a couple things that Jesus does with the stuff of our past. And we've walked through this with freedom session stuff. I've gone through this so many times. We just go, oh, the past is the past and you know, I'll just move on. No, Jesus actually does want to deal with the things of your past, just not in the way that you do which is either rehearsing it and walking with shame and guilt and bitterness and fear. That's not what Jesus wants for you. What he wants to do in the present tense is walk into the events of the past. He wants to meet you there in the present and show you what he, uh, what he's doing in that moment. He wants to speak to you about what was going on in the present. Jesus is always in the present. He's not rehashing things in your life like, oh man, what you did 20 years ago, oh, you know, that was, that was a game changer. I don't know if I could trust you. Jesus isn't rehearsing the contents of your life that way. When he wants to bring healing, which he does, and renewal to the trauma and the stuff of your childhood, your family of origin, your past, in prayer, he wants to meet you there in that place, in the present time, and speak words of life and healing and truth over it. He wants to meet you in an experiential encounter in the present and bring healing to your past. Did you know, too, like even when we talk about uh, prophetic stuff, visions of the future, in Scripture, 
They were always there in the present. John on the island of Patmos, he's got the vision of revelation. He's, he's seeing it in the present. He's in the present. And God is showing him in the present tense what is happening on the earth. Jesus is always walking in the present, not in the past and not in the future. When you and I are facing conflict, when we're facing overwhelming issues of fear and dread, when we get that diagnosis that we're, that we're dreading and terrified about, Jesus is not inviting you and I to hypothesize about what's going to happen a month or a year or six months from now. He's inviting us to be in the present with him because he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's inviting us to say, God, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid if I go down this road and I start thinking about what could happen or what I think should happen or all of that stuff, it's going to lead me to the wrong place. So Jesus, what is it you want to say to me about this right now in the moment? Because I have no control over what's coming in the future. We might think we do, but we don't. You know, when Jesus was being interrogated by Pilate. Pilate said to him, don't you realize I have the power to free you or crucify you? And Jesus said, no, you don't. You don't. You don't have the authority you think you do, Pilate. I lay down my own life. I'm the one who has the authority. You don't have the authority to control what's going to happen in the future, Pilate. I do. And so often we approach Jesus and we tell him what's going to happen. <laughs> we tell him how things are going to go down. And then we start, we, we step into the enemy's trap. We step into a life of fear and overwhelm because we're walking in a hypothetical future, but Jesus is in the present. And the question that Jesus invites you to ask, regardless of what's going on in your life today, whether it's healing for a physical need you have, whether it's a marriage relationship that you feel is beyond repair, whatever is going on, a work thing that is that has just gone sideways or financial issues or whatever, the question is not why, the question is what do you want me to know today about it? Because all I can do, Jesus, is be faithful to you right now. All I can do is be near you right now. I can't control what happened in the past. I can't fix it. And I can't control what's going to happen in the future. And Jesus says to Martha, Martha, get out of the future. You have no business being there. And it's only going to lead to pain and fear. Step into the present with me. People much smarter than I am would say the base Fear, the base fear of all humanity, the, like when you get right to the bottom of it, the base fear is a fear of loneliness, and the fear that you have no control, that you're powerless. The base fear at the root of all of our lives is a fear of being powerless and a fear of being alone. And those are the fears that Jesus is meeting in this encounter with Lazarus' sister. 
They're already grieving the loss, the separation, that loneliness of Lazarus being gone. And they're confronted. They're confronted with their fear that they're powerless to do anything about it. And Jesus steps into the present and he says, you may be powerless, but I'm not. You may be overwhelmed, but I'm not. We say this all the time. Jesus is never anxious and he's never nervous. Whatever is going on in your life today, he's not nervous about it. Why? Because he does have all authority and power. His invitation to you is to get out of the past and get out of the future and get into the present. Say, Jesus, what is it you want me to know about this situation today? You know, a long time ago, when I was younger, much younger, I was in the Middle East serving on a, just a, a short-term mission assignment. We were in Egypt um, in this one particular place, and we had traveled uh, by train from Cairo. Uh, I think it was like a seven or eight-hour train ride into the south of Egypt, and we were traveling into an area. We were moving out of like the tourist sort of like high, densely populated areas to now smaller cities. And these were areas that were well known uh, for violence against Christians. In fact, the church that we were going to to help them out for the whatever, the week or two that we were down there, the church we were going to, um, just about a month previous to our arriving there, had had uh, terrorists break through the... So all of the Christian churches there have high, high walls around them to protect the property. And so when you... It's not like it is here. When you kind of enter into the, the vicinity of the church, you'll see these tall concrete walls that surround it. And at the gates, at the entrance, there are armed guards there. Well, about a month before we got there, um, some militia people had shot the guard, broken through the gates, and opened fire during a service like this. And I don't know how many people they killed, but it was a lot of them. And so we, we come in on the train, and, and we had an overnight train, so we got in really early in the morning. And our team, there was about five of us, I think, and so we got our, our big backpacks on and we went to wait at the door for it to open when the train pulled into the station. And as that door opened, some soldiers moved right into the front, like closed off the opening to the door. I was the front one. I guess I'm big, so they just thought you can go first. Um, so I was the, the front one there. And these soldiers just started kind of yelling at us in Arabic. I didn't know Arabic, but we were traveling with an Egyptian evangelist. And they, they grabbed us and, um, and they split us from the, um, the native Egyptians. They split us from them and they took all the foreigners into uh, an interrogation room and they, they took our, our Egyptian uh, leaders into another room. And so in that moment, you're walking behind these armed soldiers and instantly your, your brain goes to what's about to happen. I don't know. I'm, I'm 19 years old. Like, I, I don't want to die right now. I don't know. I'm in a foreign country. I don't know the language. This is really intimidating. And your brain shifts 
to what is going to happen next. What do I do when such and such happens? And that's what we do. We play these scenarios and then we make up hypothetical uh, plans for what we would do if such and such happened. But Jesus invites us to live in the present. And so the question needs to be not Jesus, what is going to happen? But Jesus, what do you want me to know about this moment right now? What are you saying about this? Jesus, what are you saying about this conflict I'm in, about my marriage, about my work? What are you saying right now about what's happening, you know, in spheres of government that I can't control? What are you saying today to me? And we were questioned for a few hours. Our passports were taken. And um, then we were put under house arrest for the week that we were there. We weren't allowed to leave the, the location we were in. We later found out that they, that was their friendly way of trying to, to protect us. <laughs> Didn't seem so friendly to me, but... Um, Everything worked out fine in the end. But what would have happened if I began in the present to play out a hypothetical scenario of what I thought was going to happen? What if I started to resist? What if I started to use my own strength, my own wisdom, my own perception of what was happening, and then take action? That's the kind of thing that gets you killed when you're in an environment like that. That's the kind of thing that ends your marriage for real. When you take it and I take it upon ourselves to then play out in reality a response to what we think might happen, we step right into the trap of the enemy. And Jesus says, Martha, come back to the present. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus goes on to tell them to roll the stone away. They say, mm, not maybe a good idea. He stinketh, I think, is the King James version of that. <laughs> um, it's funny how those things just come to mind after all these years, right? Um, and Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave. Why? Because in the present, he is the resurrection and the life. What Jesus is inviting you and I to today, this Easter, is not just to have nice warm thoughts about what he did 2,000 years ago and not to live in a hypothetical future about where he's going, but to meet him in the present. Because in the present, he wants to heal your heart. In the present, he wants to heal the wounds and the grieving that you've been going through. He wants to minister to you in the present. Maybe in the present, he wants to heal your body. Maybe in the present, he wants to heal your marriage or your family relationships. He's inviting you to step out of the past and out of the future and into the present with him. The invitation of Jesus I think for us today 
is an invitation to experientially encounter him as the resurrection and life. Not just theologize or intellectualize, but actually experience the power and authority that comes from his presence. If you are a follower of Jesus, he's with you. And today, as it was when he was with Martha, today he is still the resurrection and the life. After Jesus rose from the dead, it was not a spiritual resurrection. It was a physical, bodily resurrection. When Jesus, 40 days later, ascended into heaven, he did not ascend into heaven as an angelic spirit. He is a physical human man in heavenly places right now. And he is that same resurrection and the life. The question is, number one, in order to be resurrected, something needs to die. What needs to die in your life? Some of those labels and those names that you've been carrying, the false identity you've been walking in need to die. Jesus doesn't want to speak to your false identity. He wants to speak to the true you, the one he created for a purpose and a calling, to walk with him, join to his power and his authority. So what needs to die in order for Jesus to bring you life? Resurrection and his second description was life. The counter-formational reality of the kingdom is that it's death and surrender that bring life, not power and authority in our human context. It's actually humbling ourselves, surrendering to Jesus and being willing to come under his leadership that brings the most life, not your ability to predict and control the future. Plan out your life to the nth degree. Arrange everything so you feel safe. That's not where life is found. Jesus, his offer to you is to walk with him in the present. And in the present, he is life. He can heal your grieving and your wounding from your past in the present. He can do immeasurably, immeasurably more than you could hope or imagine in the present. We're going to talk about this once we finish James next week, we're moving into a series on the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about his gifts and his power. We believe they're present for us today because he's still walking as the resurrection and the life. He hasn't laid down that stuff. He's still carrying it and he's inviting you not to live out of your own strength, not to live out of your own capacity, but to live out of his strength and his capacity. But in order to do that, you need to be living in the present. Let's just pray. I'll invite Liz to come. And I'm just going to ask Holy Spirit, We just invite your 
that you would bring the kingdom reality and life of Jesus to bear right now. I dedicate even this, these few moments to you, Jesus. I bring ourselves, everyone under the sound of my voice, this whole property even, under the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and life. I command any unholy power or unclean spirit that is present here to be bound and gagged right now. I forbid you from speaking lies or twisting or distorting the truth that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal in these moments. Any unclean spirits who are here with rights or grounds in people's lives, I suspend your authority right now. I forbid you from influencing or drawing any power from the kingdom of darkness to undermine the work of the Spirit in this moment. In Jesus' name, I cancel all ceremonies, covenants, any assignments from the kingdom of darkness that have been set against us this morning or the ministry of the Spirit, I cancel them now in the name of Jesus. And Jesus, Father, my prayer is that we don't just hear about Jesus, but that we experience his reality right now. So Holy Spirit, that's, that's way outside of my capacity. I, I can't even attempt to do that. I'm asking you, Father, that you would release now the ministry of your Spirit and you would make Jesus real right now. There's two questions that I want you just as your eyes are closed and maybe three, if you're here and you're not even sure you know who Jesus is or you don't know if you believe in him, maybe you, you have believed in him before, but you're just overwhelmed with grief and disappointment and he's present. He's not anxious or nervous. He's not frustrated or impatient with you today. He wants to know you and be known by you. And maybe the first question for you here is, Jesus, are you real? And if that is the category you're in, that's totally okay. I want to just invite you just to ask him that. Even right now, Jesus, are you real? The second question I want to invite you to ask is Jesus, what is the dominant fear of my life right now? What is the dominant fear of my life? And I'm just going to ask Holy Spirit that you would reveal that in a unique way to each person here. What is the dominant fear of my life right now that is blocking me from experiencing the fullness 
of your life, Jesus? What is that dominant fear that's driving me into the past or out into the future and blocking me from being present in the moment? If you sense something and come to mind, a thought come to mind, a, a situation come to mind, I just want to, the first way that we need to deal with this is confession and confession is just admitting what's true. Maybe for some of you, you have a fear of being a failure. Or your core fear right now is being rejected. Maybe some of you, your core fear is being alone. For others, it might be that you're powerless and you're out of control and you you can't seem to find your way out of where you are. What I want you to do is just acknowledge that, admit it to Jesus. Jesus, I'm afraid of. Maybe your fear is that you are gonna forever carry this label that you've given yourself or that others have given you. Maybe your fear is, I, Jesus, I'll always be a failure. I'll always be a quitter. Whatever it is, I want you just to acknowledge it and say, Jesus, this is true. I, I'm scared. I'm not sure if I can trust you anymore. I'm not sure. You didn't show up, Jesus, when we asked you. When you could have done something, you weren't here and I'm afraid. I'm afraid to trust you again. It's too painful. It's, it's too vulnerable. And third question and last one. Just in this space you are with Jesus, I want to invite you to ask him now, Jesus, what do you want me to know about that? What do you want me to know about that fear? What do you want me to know about that situation? What do you want me to know about that diagnosis? Or what do you want me to know about this grieving I'm in? Jesus is in the present. He's here. He's here right now. And he's filled with compassion and goodness in life. There's nothing that is impossible for him. I just ask Holy Spirit that you would reveal the truth of what Jesus is saying to each person here right now. That we can trust him And that it's not according to our power and planning and strength. It's by his spirit and his power. And I just ask Holy Spirit that you would speak just a word of truth to each person here about their true identity, 
about who you say they are. walking in the present and that in the present right now you are the resurrection and the life there is nothing that is too dead for you to breathe new life into there's no marriage too broken there's no grieving that's too deep there's no trauma that is too extensive there is no financial need that is too great there's no physical need that is beyond your capacity. I thank you, Jesus, that you are present with us now and in the present. You are the resurrection and the life. And I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to call us out of living under the shame and the guilt of the past and call us out of living in the hypothetical fear of the future. I ask that you would bring us into the present and that your kingdom would come even today in our families, in our homes, Father, for the conversation around the table, Father, for mothers and sons and mothers and daughters and fathers and sons and daughters, for children and grandchildren, that your kingdom would be present, Father, where there's been brokenness and pain, that you would bring healing and restoration, where there's a need for healing physically. Jesus, I just ask that you would step into those places in the present and that you would speak words of life over them. It just was words from your mouth calling Lazarus to come out of there that, that revived his body and brought life back. And I'm asking in the present today, Jesus, that you would be the resurrection and the life and that you would bring us into the present with you today. For those that don't know you here, Jesus, would you just speak words of life over them? For those doubting and questioning and discouraged by what you haven't done, Jesus, the unanswered prayers, would you again not answer the why, but would you speak to them today about what you want them to know, whatever that is? We bring ourselves to you, Jesus. We're so thankful we're not alone. And we're so thankful we're not left to our own devices and power. But you are with us and you are the resurrection and the life. Father, I just declare your peace over every person as they leave here today. Your joy and your goodness. Holy Spirit, would you continue the ministry long after the service is over? Would you continue to pour out the presence of our Father's kingdom? 
Teach us to walk in its reality today. Amen. Amen. So as I mentioned uh, at the top of things, I just wanted to clarify um, and hopefully just sort of um, focus in uh, some thinking around Jesus in the present. And uh, there were a few things that I said in the midst of that message that I think could have been clear uh, or that I just in general want to expand on. And of course, this, like we are talking sort of theoretically about um, time and space and those constraints and how they, how Jesus might interact with them or not, or, you know, um, and I would just say in general, I think my thought is that Jesus operates both in time and space as we know it and outside of it. He's not constrained by it, but I think he operates within it. And so when we talk about um, being with Jesus in the present, so so he has this statement to, to Martha, right? I am the resurrection of life. So that's not only an identity statement, but it's also a statement of time. I am like in this moment, in the present, standing here before you, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, as I mentioned in my message, there are, and this this would be a practice in our church, something we actually believe is a, a foundational part of following Jesus of formation and discipleship. Jesus wants to walk with us back into um, the history of our lives, back into the events that have most profoundly shaped us, most profoundly wounded us, traumatized us, um, you know, affected us. Um, these moments that have most profoundly um, led to bondage in our lives and patterns of sin and all and and, and uh, the formation of lies of our identity and all of these things Jesus wants to walk with us into those in an experiential way and we lead this through experiential prayer and he wants to bring healing to those uh, in part sometimes not all the time but sometimes by revealing himself in that place, in that memory, in that situation, but he's doing it in the present. So Jesus is doing it as he's present with us in the moment, and he's showing us how he was present in that event, in that um, specific situation or scenario. And so that's why I mean um, like Jesus can be present with us even as we um, directed by the Holy Spirit because it's always the Holy Spirit that has to lead this stuff. We don't enter into any of these things as a form of just sort of therapeutic uh, help. We, it's, it's simply um, through asking the Holy Spirit, what is it you want to expose about what's gone on in my past? that you wanna bring healing to? What do you wanna deal with? Where, where do you wanna bring me? What memory do you want to, um, to, to uh, bring into the light again? And so it's as the Holy Spirit leads those things that Jesus then in our present brings us back sometimes and reveals 
um, his presence in that moment, what he was saying, what he was doing, what he looked like, whatever, it's up to him to determine that. And so um, by saying we need to step out of living in the past, I don't mean that we just ignore it. I don't mean that we just offer the pithy Bible verse, you know, um, that I'm a new creation and so I don't have to deal with that. I don't mean that we reject uh, counseling and um, means of, of dealing with trauma on a human level. We need to do those things where appropriate. Uh, but Jesus doesn't want us to be in bondage to the past. So that's what I more mean and more meant by not living in the past. He doesn't want you to be walking in bondage and brokenness today because of the things that have wounded and impacted you negatively from the past. He wants to meet you in those places. And today he can, because he's present with you in the present, um, he can address and deal with those things that he deems are appropriate for today. So number one, we never go into that sort of stuff as an endeavor of human activity or effort. We always wanna be led by the spirit. But um, just as Jesus is present with us today, uh, working inside of this constraints of our time, I believe that he also has the capacity probably <laughs> to stand outside of time. So he's always in the present in some metaphysical way that I don't understand. I think Jesus is always existing in the present. That's why he's I am. And um, anyway, I, I don't want to I don't want to speak too much to that because it's so far above my own uh, intellectual capacity. But um, and then as well, I mentioned, we need to get out of the future. Now, again, Jesus can prophetically show us things about the future, but he does it in the present. He meets with us. So as I mentioned, John on the island of Patmos, he's seeing these things. Uh, he's having these visions in the present. He's aware of where he is. He's aware of his surroundings. He's aware of all of those things. And he's uh, experiencing it in the present. And so Jesus can and does sometimes bring revelation of what's about to happen, but he does it from the present. He will meet you uh, in the present and uh, if he chooses to, he will disclose what's, you know, what might take place. Where we get into trouble is when we start to, without Jesus initiating it, hypothesize about where the future is going. I would also say, um, just humbly and gently, um, if our view of the future is primarily just shaped by news headlines and where we think, quote unquote, that is prophetically leading, then we need to just, we need to be cautious with those things and careful with those. I don't want to live in that reality. I'm called to live in the reality. I think you are too, the reality of this moment and, um, and come back to that question. Jesus, what do you want me to know about this moment? So even when it comes to 
issues, um, pressing or geopolitical global issues, issues of family, um, illness, sickness that's been diagnosed, all of those things that the, the call we have is to say, Jesus, you're here with me now, Psalm 23. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd right now. So right now I have all that I need. Uh, King James Version, I shall not want, right? So um, in the present, I have everything I need because you're with me, Jesus. So the question is not first, what's going to happen next? The question is, what do you want me to know right now? What do you want me to know right now? And that can apply to everything going on in our life. I think it. we need to be disciplined with when we get into kind of realms of the prophetic where we are looking at global events and then drawing some sort of schematic of what's about to happen. We need to be cautious with that. I'm not saying that there's no place for that, but we need to be cautious with that. And uh, as we are, you know, observing and reading the headlines of the day, the news stories of the day. The question should be, Jesus, what, if anything, do you want me to know about that today? So again, we are resisting the urge to, out of our own human endeavor, to project ourselves into the future. We're saying, Jesus, you know, this stuff is really big. It's it's out of my pay bracket. So what is it you want me to know, if anything, about this today? And then we live in obedience and faithfulness to that revelation, not to what we think is going to happen when we connect all of these dots in our own head. And so that's where I'm calling you and I to live in the present with Jesus. Jesus said to Martha, um, you know, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm with you right now. No, I wasn't here two days ago. Um, and sure, you may have an idea of what's coming in the future, but I am with you right now. So the question is, Jesus, what do you want me to know today? I hope you are challenged with that. I wanna just encourage you to pray that and begin to ask the Holy Spirit that, especially when you feel anxious or overwhelmed or overburdened with the realities of life. Take a deep breath, sit down and say, Jesus, look at this is scaring me. This is overwhelming to me. This is freaking me out, whatever it is but you are here with me. And so I'm gonna ask you, Jesus, what do you want me to know about this today? Would you speak to me and just listen for his voice? I wanna challenge you with that. Have an amazing week, put that into practice, and I'll talk to you soon.